0: Harry, come to Mammoth Lakes. I'll take you skiing.
1: Welcome to the latest episode of Oxygen Starved, the podcast that brings you your ABCs, adventure, books, and conversations from 11,000 feet with your esteemed hosts, Dr. Stacey Adler of the Mono County Office of Education, and Mr. Christopher Platt of the Mono County Free Library.
2: Howdy, listeners. Welcome back to a new episode of the Oxygen Starved podcast, where we bring you your ABC's Adventure Books and Conversation from 11,000 feet. And as always, I'm one of your co-hosts, Christopher, and with me is my fellow co-host.
0: Yes. Hi, Stace. I'm here.
2: You are? Yes. Okay. You sound a little unsure.
0: No, I really am here. <laughs> okay. And with us as always is producer Doug. Hey, Doug. Hi, Doug. Hello, hello, hello. hello. How are you You're doing? here too. I'm here and so-
2: soaking wet for some reason. Oh,
0: it's oh. one of those
2: days. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Work oh. and warmth and snow melt. I think we are all a little bit <sighs> wet these days. Yes. Um, with more snow on the horizon. With more snow on the horizon. Uh, yeah. Remember we record this a a couple weeks early. So, uh, more snow on the horizon is still a good thing right now. Snowpack is really solid for the Sierra right
0: now. We're going to be skiing till August. Maybe.
2: (laughs) So long as it hits those aquifers and those reservoirs, we're, we're happy. Yes. But you know, living in it does create some challenges. You know, the picture-perfect postcards, the blue bird skies over the white snowy plains and mountains and hills, and everything is gorgeous. But there is uh, a little bit of reality for those of us who live here day in and day out, right? Yes,
0: and have to drive up and down 395 and into town where it's sometimes not always as nice and Dry as we like our roads to be.
2: (laughs) Although we're all pretty good at it. You can kind of tell the locals, right? We all slow down and drive responsibly and don't jump out into intersections.
0: Right. Keep a good distance and space between us and other drivers.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But one thing that you we're going to talk about today, yeah. just kind of as an adventure, because it's an adventure, whether you like it or not, is um, this phenomenon that we kind of experience in two different locations around the county yeah. pretty regularly, Crowley Lake near where you live, yes. and up in the Mono Basin. So,
0: Yes, the Pogo Nip.
2: The Pogo Nip. Yes.
0: And Pogo Nip is, is um, what the native people called this phenomenon. Pogo Nip translates to white death. And this wow. is the fog that settles in it's like a freezing fog mm-hmm. that settles in over the Mono Basin, the Mono Lake Basin mm-hmm. and makes driving an adventure not like always a fun one. Well, you not know, ever a
2: fun one. I think we've talked about it in the past where when it happens occasionally and it lifts during the day right. when you're driving through it, it can be very magical, right Right. yes, because you're driving underneath it and Everything's all crystalline. and
0: Yeah, and then you drive out of it, and it's like, ah, oh, the heavens yeah. open, and it's beautiful. That hasn't been the case this winter.
2: No, I think the conditions, especially in the Mono Basin, have kept it low and yep. almost 24-7.
0: Yes, it, it does not. Doug is nodding Doug. his head because poor Doug has to drive back and forth in and out of it every single day. I don't yep. know how... You do it, but thank you.
2: (laughs) It can become a little oppressive.
0: Yes. I recently drove through there with a bunch of cheerleaders in my car, (laughs) taking them home from competition in Reno. And it was evening, it was dusk Mm -hmm. when we came through it. And that complicated matters even more because it was the light was not on our side. Right. And then the roads are still. Although Caltrans is doing a great job, yeah. shout out to them. Yep. It's still not perfect, right? And so you have these icy road conditions combined with this dense fog, yeah, um,
2: to drive through, and it was On little
0: a tw- little white knuckly,
2: yeah. Because you know people sometimes forget they are twisty mountain roads, yeah. even if it is Highway three ninety five, especially through the basin where it goes down to two lanes, right? And uh, You know, the other thing on top of it is there was a ton of snow. My understanding is the Mono Basin, especially Mono City itself, got a record amount of snow compared to everyone else. Right in Mono County yes. this season so far. So you've got people dealing with getting the snow off their roofs and mm-hmm. the leaks in their homes and businesses and libraries yes. <laughs> and ice on everything. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have a chance to melt because the sun isn't coming out for weeks on end. Right. And the highway's not fully plowed. So getting around is a challenge. And you just kind of feel almost cut off and closed in.
0: Right. And yeah. then you have the cold, the, the right. frigid. Temperatures. It was minus 27 in Bridgeport the right. other morning. Right. I think it was the coldest place in the United States. Yeah. Um, which isn't unusual, but right. you have, you know, all this snow is just, like, keeping that cold. Yeah. Um, and so that's preventing any melting to occur. Yeah. So
2: it's... It can be a challenge. Yeah. Um, just, you know, logistically and psychi- psychologically, I think. And you know, again, mad props to everyone out there who lives there and works there and all the teams who are working to get snow off roofs around the county. It's still happening. I passed two crews today coming into work. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just dealing with leaky roofs and icicles that come down to your, the floor ground yes. and, and everything. It's, it's a lot to, to dig out and live with for a while.
0: Even, and, and we're going to be living with it for
2: <laughs> a part, while. It's part of the adventure of living here, right?
0: Absolutely. But just remember, if you're driving through here and you hit that Poconip, slow down, make sure that you have extra time to get to where you're going. Right. Um, Do not turn on your high beams or your bright lights when you're driving through the Poconip. Keep on your low beams. Or if you're lucky enough to have fog lights on your car, turn those on. Um, But yeah, never ever use your high beams. That's not going to help you or the other drivers. (laughs)
2: Or the other drivers. It just turns into a big gray wall in front of you and you can't see where you're going. Absolutely. And I will say from my own, I will add from my own personal experience the last time I drove up, out of the Mono Basin up Conway mm-hmm. Pass over the summit. The snow was melting on the highway in the sun at that point because you're up above the fog right. and it was creating steam. And even yeah. that was hard can, to drive through. Yeah. That can that can obliterate your ice your it, vision for it, a while. It
0: definitely <laughs> can. <laughs> All kinds of fun driving
2: oh, in Mono
0: County in it, the wintertime, that's for sure.
2: It's an adventure, especially yeah. this winter. Well listeners, we hope We know many of you are likely driving right now, so we hope you're driving safely and you're having a safe and warm winter so far. We will be right back with our
1: book conversation. Oxygen, a colorless, odorless reactive gas, the chemical element of atomic number eight and the life-supporting component of the air. Starved, suffering a severe and damaging lack of basic material and cultural benefits, Oxygen-Starved Podcast, a colorless, odorless, culture-packed, nutritious podcast considering books, describing Mono County adventure, and engaging in informative conversation with colorful Eastside Sierra locals. Download it now.
0: Here we are, listeners, at the book portion of our podcast, the B section. Not to, you know, put it down from A, A to B, it's they're but all it's equal. It's not a grade. Yeah. It's not a grade, but yeah. So we're going to talk a little bit about what we're reading now or what we've just finished. Cause I think in both our cases, we've just finished yeah. these books. So Christopher, let's tell us what, what book did you just finish reading?
2: Okay. So I just finished up a new book that just came out in November. It's called Hollywood, the oral history. And it's combined by a couple of compiled by a couple of Film experts, uh Janine Basinger and Sam Wasson. She's like a uh, an academic mm-hmm. on the East Coast. She's oh. you know, you can go there to study film with her. Okay. And Sam Wasson, I believe, was her student. And they've both oh. gone on and written many well-received and kind of canonical books about movie making and the film industry. So are they are book.
0: they the authors of each chapter? they're the authors. Yeah, okay. they
2: the, the structure of this book is um, a they've sifted through all sorts of oral histories and documents and transcripts from the American Film Institute of different Hollywood, you know, producers, directors, all sorts of different people who involved in the movie making business mm-hmm. who were part of what was basically a, a lecture series in 19 okay. in 1969 Harold Lloyd who was an old silent era comedian and filmmaker very well known was the first to sit down with the American Film Institute mm-hmm. And what they would do is they would have him talk in front of students mm-hmm. of the conservatory. So it was kind of like a, a master class okay. in a way. Oh, neat. And that has continued on, I guess, mm-hmm. f- since then. And okay. there's just troves and troves of these interviews. And so they've gone in and, and pulled out interesting pieces and snippets and created these these chapters on different eras and different parts of movie making, yeah. um, with all these experts weighing in. And it's really just, I was telling you beforehand, mm-hmm. it's almost like attending a lecture yeah. or a masterclass, but with multiple people you're, you're hearing from not just one person. And it kind Neat. of draws you in, um, because it really is an oral history of Hollywood from the very, 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 beginnings Mm -hmm. and the the book is kind of I'll set up what the book looks like it's basically uh, divided into broad categories like comedy and silent directors and silent actors and when the sound came in and studio workforce and cameramen and editors and makeup and art direction All that kind of sounds very dry on the the surface level. But when you go in and you hear these different experts in all these areas talking about their work, and they're often talking about movies that you and I would recognize, right? Classic movies all the way up to modern movies. You kind of get a better appreciation for how they're made Mm -hmm. and the people who who make these. And it really, you get appreciation that it's a team effort. Mm -hmm. So I'm one of the people who probably like most of America gets up and walks out when the, the end comes right. on in the movie and yeah. then the credits start scrolling right. and, and all these people get their names on the screen, I don't really stick around and see who's there. Right, right. <laughs> you know, but this is an opportunity through this book for many of those names to talk about their work mm-hmm. and how important it is to them and also just, you know, how they influenced, you know, major movies that we've all seen over the years. It's,
0: it's interesting to me how you brought up the point that when nowadays all of those cre- all those people all those credits come at the end mm-hmm. of the movie but if you've ever watched movies that were made you know decades ago you, mm-hmm. wizard of oz gone with the right. wind all the, all those credits came at the beginning, at the of, beginning the of the movie and right. i think that's because when they said at the when the the end showed up on the screen it really was the end. You didn't, I I, I don't know, does it say why they switched from the beginning to
2: No, that topic doesn't come up, but um, interesting. Now I'm going to go back and watch old movies and and see if I can figure that out. You know, what's (laughs) interesting about this and what draws the average reader like me into this book is it's, a mix of major players. So there's major classic directors Mm -hmm. like Billy Wilder and Frank Capra, who Uh used to have a weekend house in June Lake, JJ Abrams, Jordan Peele, Tom Hanks, Catherine Hepburn, all these big names contribute their experiences, but they are alongside the camera people, you know, the script girls, the art directors, all those other people. And so you're getting a real mix yeah. of perspective, sometimes on the same movie or the same issue, like sound. Mm-hmm. How does sound impact a movie when you were making silent movies? Right. You know, suddenly the guys with the microphone, like producer Doug here, became the most important person in the room and it right. put everyone's nose out of joint, you know? Yep. And so it's kind of interesting. And now the kind of the same thing happened with digital, right? Mm-hmm. So it's yep. putting a lot of traditional players off to the side. And along the way, they're referencing movies that you've heard of, Gone mm-hmm. with the Wind, Jazz Singer, Cleopatra, Jaws, Star Wars, Titanic. All those movies appear to kind of give it context. Um, and there's not really any gossip. I think there's a right. little bit of gossip. You know, they talk about the big stars and big directors like mm-hmm. Betty Davis and Barbara Streisand and Charlton Heston. But when they bring them in, they kind of really talk about issues or their technique. So Mm -hmm. for instance, one actress, Olivia de Havilland, who is a classic era actress, she was in Gone with the Wind. She won a couple of Oscars. She actually um, filed a lawsuit against one of her studios for unfair labor practices and won. And there is now a law on the books called the de Havilland Law to protect actors um, working for a studio. So that there's no unfair working practices happening, which I thought was fascinating. You know, it's just a lot of, it's a lot of straight from the horse's mouth kind it of stuff. like
0: peeling back the curtain a little yeah. bit? I mean, was, was there anything that you learned that you thought, oh, I wish I didn't know that?
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, I think there's a lot of stuff that's a little bit technically over my head. A lot of the art direction stuff. So for instance, you know, we give a lot of credit to the directors of a movie Appropriately so, yeah, and and credit to the actors in a movie, appropriately mm-hmm. so. But the person in between all that is the art director, who kind of creates the atmosphere. Yeah, um, you know the the design of the sets, the furniture, you know mm-hmm. the settings. Yeah. They scope out the locations and all that kind of right. stuff, which to me sounds like probably to me probably the most interesting part of the whole process. Yeah, um, you know I learned a lot about that, mm-hmm. and you really do understand it as a team. Team effort. Um, and then there's just some little interesting bits of trivia. So, for instance, the yeah. one I shared on my book talk Friday this morning in a silent era. You know, Back when movies were really just starting and Mm -hmm. they were trying anything, they would just find a big room and they would set up a set and start filming silent movies. And sometimes if the room was big enough, they'd be doing two movies at once. They would just stay out of each other's shot. (laughs) And um, so one of the things that started to happen in the 20s as actors and actresses became more movie stars, right, Mm -hmm. became the important commodity of the movie, is actresses would have... A theme song as they marched onto set oh. at, at the beginning of every day. There would be musical accompaniment, you know, so-and-so is coming up to start filming for the day, and they would have a band.
0: Oh, no way. And
2: it got so out of hand, at, at one point there was a, uh, a movie star who heard her rival's entrance on the other side of the room and was like, well, my music's got to be better than that. And it just kind of ratcheted up until she had a marching band. Oh my and then everyone decided, okay, you know what? This is kind of just silly. Right. Let's, let's just cut this. And it, it, the practice stopped. But yeah. I thought, well, that's just kind of funny to me. Like it's
0: so bizarre.
2: <laughs> totally bizarre and something that no one probably probably knows about. But, you know, what the book does do for those of us who are amateurs mm-hmm. and just, you know, move, movie appreciators as much right. as anything else is it, it kind of gives us a picture overall since, you know, the 1920s, right. 100 years ago, of how this scrappy little industry grew up into a powerhouse studio system in the mid-20th century. And then in the 60s, you know, Peter Fonda, Jack Nicholson, they all blew it apart. Right. You know, Steven Spielberg and George Lucas and those yeah. guys came in and created Jaws and Star Wars and it became something very, very different. And then even now, you know, with Avatar and other Mm -hmm. movies like that, with digital movies, it's become even more different and more diverse and more interesting. So it's just, it's interesting to watch the movie as Mm -hmm. a business evolve over time. Just, you know, I just find that kind of stuff fascinating.
0: And it it seems to me this is not your typical history of movie making, you know, where they're, you know, going to get into the studio system right. and the and the McCarthy, yep the fifties, yeah, 50s, the blacklisting, you know, the blacklisting yep. and all the things that we typically hear about or read about m- movies and making movies. So that's kind of neat.
2: It is kind of neat. And it does kind of, there are there are some aspects of it where, and I'm glad you brought that up, you know, the 50s and 60s were when the studio system itself kind of broke down. Right. The walls broke down. Yeah. And you can kind of get a sense from the old timers in this book, some of whom were very influential, major producers yeah. and directors, that they felt very comfortable because they were taken care of. Yeah, Everything was done for them. There was an office that did everything you know, all your costumes, all your props, your actors were on contract. You didn't have to go out and lure anyone in. Right. You all ate together at the Mm -hmm. studio commissary and you partied together at each other's houses. So it was like a very insular kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And then when the 60s and 70s came along and blew all that up, you weren't running into in a closed pack anymore you had to go out and make new relationships for every movie you wanted to do and just that was they found that exhausting yeah whereas the new crowd like warren Beatty and steven spielberg that was just what they wanted to do do, and that gave them freedom and so it's it's kind of interesting this you know just these little transitions and Mm -hmm. personalities that come through i I think it's really good it's Mm. hollywood and oral history by janine uh Gosh, what did I say? Janine Basinger and <laughs> Sam Wasson will put the link. Yeah. On our show page. So that's what I've been reading. I'm gonna
0: put it on my to be read list. Yeah. It sounds really good. It also
2: reads very, very quickly. And when it gets really technical, I just skip skip over it. those parts. But I still recommend the book. So <laughs> stays that's what I've been reading. What have you been reading? Because I think you've been reading something very different.
0: Yeah, very couldn't couldn't be more different because it's fiction. Right. And um this is Emma Straub's new book. Emma Straub's published Several mm-hmm. bestsellers. Yeah. This one is called This Time Tomorrow, and it, she published it in October of 2021. Mm-hmm. And this is a time travel book, which I'm, you <laughs> listeners know, I'm not a huge time travel fan, <laughs> but this one got great reviews. And so I, it's been on my to be read list for a while. Mm-hmm. And came up on my Libby app and as available so I grabbed it. Awesome. Yeah, so um this tells the story of Alice. She's our protagonist. She is um going to turn 40. It is the eve of her 40th birthday. And she's fine. She's got a fine life. She doesn't mm-hmm. she's not unhappy. She works at a private school. She has her good friends. She her father is in the hospital. He's You know, an older gentleman, he's slowly dying. She goes and visits him. Um, But, you know, she just kind of... There's something missing. She's Mm -hmm. not fulfilled. Right, right. So on the eve of her 40th birthday, she... Falls into kind of like a time warp, unbeknownst to her. And she wakes up in the morning and she's in her home bedroom and she's 16 again. (laughs) And she goes downstairs and there's her dad at the kitchen table. She's estranged from her mother. So Mm -hmm. the mom's not really in the picture. Um, And, you know, all of the the tropes and all of the time and time again things that we've seen when people time travel and go back to their younger selves and they have that freak out moment. Sure, She goes through that, you know, we have that freak out moment, but then as she, as the novel goes on, she discovers that she can go back and forth. Oh, wow! so she can, she can go into her little, Wormhole, Mm -hmm. if you will, I don't Mm -hmm. want to give too much away, right? And go back to being um, on the eve of her 40th birthday, and then she can go back to being 16 again, and she can come and go from both those worlds. Mm -hmm. And there's a little bit of change that she can make, okay? So, she, as the novel goes on it becomes kind of less and less about her going back and forth than her quest to help her father get better. Oh, wow. You know, and so he can live longer. Because one thing she discovers is that as she's, when she goes back and she's 16, mm-hmm. she she really starts to see... how strong their relationship was and how much she loved Uh, her father. And she grows a new appreciation for him because as she takes these turns, you know, when she goes back and mm -hmm. does different things, um, she really gets, she learns more about him and her father, Alice's father is an, a writer is he has he's published a a book or two Mm -hmm. and he's very well thought of in the science Mm -hmm. fiction world. And his Characters are time travelers. Ah, So I'm not going to give away any more than okay. that about the dad's books. But Emma Straub herself, her father is also an author. And he's published several books, mm-hmm. one of which is The Talisman, which is kind of a famous book mm-hmm. that was made into a movie that Steven Spielberg directed. There you so go. How about that? Um, but so there's a little bit of, of auto. Biographical kernels, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, kind of throughout this book, and she said in an interview that um her father talked about the pleasure he gets from finding little kernels, you know, or that she I'm sorry that she gets. From finding little kernels of her father when she reads his books.
2: Oh, that's great.
0: And she, you know, like whether it's his love for ice cream or his, you know, a favorite novel that he read that right. the character likes or whatever. And she said that she looks forward to the days when her kids read her books and find little kernels of her of and, and even them in the characters in her books, which was it's kind very of cute. It's very magical. And... The thing that stuck with me about this this book, and I haven't been able to really stop thinking about it, is she, the dad in the story, mm-hmm. Leonard is his name, he says to her something to the effect of, you know, you, when your children are young, you can be all things to them. You can be their best friend. You can, you know, of course, be their parent and right. their guide and and all of that, but when you can't control when they grow up what they're going to decide about the relationship that they want to have with you. And I was like, Oh gosh, you know, <laughs> I mean, have, as someone who's going through as it, somebody who's going through it, you know, my, my kids are, are 30, 24 and 17 and, you know, I, right now at this minute, <laughs> I have a really good relationship with all of them, but knowing that that could change depending on their circumstances mm-hmm. that I can't control is a little scary and is a little, you know, bittersweet to think of,
2: but I imagine
0: it really, um, that really struck me, struck me and stayed with me. And, um, it was, was kind of a, you know, just made me reflect on the relationships that I have with, with my parents.
2: Well, I think um, the way you've described this is great. I mean, first of all, Emma is a, a great author. Yeah. She's hugely popular in the library as well. Um, and I haven't read this one yet. And when you first told me about it, I was kind of thinking in the back of my mind, this is this kind of a cross between, you know, Freaky Friday and Big, <laughs> you know, like yeah, those kind of right. like frothy time travel, you become a kid again kind of things. Right. Um, But what you've just described is something that's a little bit more, um, you know, under the radar a little bit in terms of there's some real emotion and intent here to have you reconsider, you know, parental child relationships. Yeah. I was just as you were talking. I was thinking, well, what would if I that happened to me? What respect would I have for my parents that I didn't have as a sixteen-year-old? Because boy, we were all right. a little rebellious, right? And right. Sixteen-year parents don't know anything, no. And then when yeah. you, by the time you hit like thirty-six, you realize they knew a lot more than you right. thought. Right. Right. Is Isn't I think
0: there's a, there's a famous quote, and I can't remember who said it. You know, out there that I've heard a million times. That you know, the person saying is, "I didn't know how smart my dad was until i turned 40 right you know so there is definitely a little bit of that there and it's funny that you mentioned the you know all the the big and because when i was telling my husband about this book Mm -hmm. he said oh it sounds like 13 going on 30 yeah (laughs) well yeah that's what we all think of now when we think of time travel books but you know i have to say the way this could have been really drawn out Mm -hmm. you know i i want to say it was about 300 pages Mm -hmm. you know maybe a 350, something like that. It wasn't terribly long. It could have been, mm-hmm. it could have been like the last book we read right. 900 bloody pages, but um, <laughs> I'll never get over that.
2: <laughs> I'm going to live that one down for a long you, time.
0: You, Yeah, for sure. <laughs> but, but the way that she wrote it, you know, like she didn't, she didn't like go on and on and get too in the weeds when mm-hmm. she didn't have to. Mm-hmm. So I really admired that about her writing. Is that her, the cadence of the novel was so good, yeah, um, and really kept kept the story moving where it could have very easily gone south, yeah. Um, but she was really masterful in how she kept it moving forward and let, that every time that Alice goes back, right, she, it wasn't like 50 pages of yeah. what happened. You know, it was maybe four or five sentences. Sure. I thought that was really masterful and really pre- made me appreciate her as an author.
2: Yeah. I'm so also I just, loved it. I, that sounds like I'm definitely adding it to my to-be-read pile. Um, and then I'm also thinking you know, again, as you were talking about the little nuggets that her father Mm -hmm. places in his books and that she's placing in her books for her kids, what a gift that is for the next generation to have a parent or grandparent who contributes in that way, right? right? That leaves a legacy that people can discover easily. You know, in my family, my grandfather told stories right and left and we would, you know, every Sunday afternoon after church, we'd go over and have lunch and he would tell stories about growing up, you know, in the old times. Right. And everyone thought, you know, you should record these, you know, yeah. and he never did. And now I we often talk about, oh, did we get that detail right? Do Are we remembering it right? Because we remember what he was saying, but it's not anywhere to be tracked yeah. or found. You
0: yeah. Know? I wish I, you know, that's, and that's such a lost art because my grandfather used to tell stories too. I mm-hmm. think his were like more based on the Bible his interpretation, whatever. But I mean, I loved yeah. that, you know, it was great to say, tell me, sit down and tell me a story. And he could just, right, you know, riff one, you know, right off the top of his head. But, you know, I, the same thing, I wish we had thought to record it, that we mm-hmm. would want to hear those again yeah. someday. And, but this is, this book was called this time tomorrow by Emma Straub. So, Readers, if you're interested at all, please check it out and let us know what you think.
2: Absolutely.
0: And we'll be right back with our conversation.
1: Ample oxygen is a basic requirement for human molecular metabolism.
2: Welcome back, listeners, to the conversation, the C portion of our podcast, where we bring in uh, an Eastside local that contributes something unique to our live, work, play lifestyle here in Mono County in the Eastern Sierra. And today I am super excited. Well, we, yes. Stacey, Doug, and I are super <laughs> excited to invite, have invited Pam Bold of the High Sierra Energy Foundation here. So welcome, Pam. Hi, Pam. Hi, how you doing? I'm
0: great. How are
3: you? <laughs> Thanks for having me.
2: <laughs> We're glad you're here. No problem. And you know, you, you might have noticed I kind of gracefully sidestepped your title because I couldn't remember it off the top of my head <laughs> as it was coming out of my mouth. What, what exactly is your title?
3: Yeah. So I'm the executive director
2: of the High Sierra Energy Foundation, right? Correct. Awesome. Okay. So we got that got that <laughs> down. And listeners, we will put the link for the High Sierra Energy Foundation on our show page. You can, uh, of course, find out more information. But before we get there, Pam, tell us, like, you know, we always like to talk, hear a little bit about our, our guests. So can you tell us, like, how long have you been here in the East Side?
3: Yeah, so I've been here quite a while actually. Um I moved up I think a little bit after school after me. Yeah. Oh you're a local yes. <laughs> and around two thousand six. Um yeah, so my youngest uh, started kindergarten here, you know, went all the way through school. Um yeah, so I feel like I'm a local. I, I've, done enough, I've done enough shoveling that I can consider myself to be a local.
2: Well, I think a lot of locals were born this this winter yeah. season so far. If we're just counting shoveling, yes, <laughs> or breaking out the ice picks or everything else, we're learning it takes to get through an East Side winter, right? Well, tell us a little bit about what your role is here on the Eastern East Side, and yeah. a little bit about the the group you run
3: yeah okay, so um, I worked in the tech field like early stage um tech startups when I was down in the San Diego area and you know throughout the country and um you know the internet bubble burst right around the time that my second son was uh was i was pregnant with him. Mm-hmm. It was a great time to go back, get a package be done I was a stay at home mom for thirteen years, mm-hmm. um including a lot of that time up here, and so you know there's nothing better than being a stay-at-home mom in this area, where you can, mm-hmm. you know, just have access to the mountains. Right. Um, I did a whole lot of volunteer work during that time, which yes. Stacey may remember. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was the PTO mom extraordinaire, elementary school right PTO yeah. uh, president for I don't know how many years. I love it. Uh, did a lot with Eastern Sierra Nordic Ski Association. Um, Lots of different things, naturalist tours, just, you know, different things in between, um, boosters, you know, all of that good stuff. Um, And so it was a great way to just really immerse myself in the community, get to know a lot of community members, et cetera, and... Then when my um, oldest son was getting ready to go to college, of course we had saved since he was a baby, but it wasn't enough. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so uh, I needed to just kind of look at what the workforce was. And um, I knew I didn't want to travel. Travel was difficult at the time, especially I still had you know kids at home. right? And um, so I saw this opportunity f- for the High Sierra Energy Foundation, and it was really just at that time doing some program management. Um, energy has kind of been something that's been... Like near and dear to me and sustainability all of mm-hmm. my life. I mean, I used to be like a no-nukes mm-hmm. <laughs> person, which now I might have like a totally different opinion of that. Oh, wow. <laughs> we can get into those sure. type of things later. But um, yeah, so it was just something that I felt like it was the right space. I had a really you know, just being in the tech field and mm-hmm. early stage, um, you kind of do everything. Right. And so I had a, you know, good, good knowledge of lots of different things, um, to put together to, to run that type of an organization. And then it's just such a fascinating field that there's, you know, new, you will learn new things every single day about, you know, where energy's you know, new forms of energy storage. I mean, just everything. So, so it's something like you're not going to stagnate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, and, um, you know, so that's why, you know, bringing it back to, to your show, like I, I do a lot of reading, a lot of listening, a lot of energy-related podcasts. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I have to break myself out of that um, very, you know, pigeonhole to expand, like, what else I'm consuming. <laughs> yeah.
2: Well, it sounds like uh, what, what I'm hearing you say is... Um, A few things. One that all that experience of volunteering and working in the Eastern Sierra before you took on this role, your network building, right, and you're meeting all these people and you're learning the players and who who will respond and who might not, or how to how you can kind of involve different people. Then you, as you said, your tech startup experience, like you, you, it's not an intimidating thing because you've worn many hats at once before, right? Help get things off the ground, and then just a fascination. So. It sounds kind of a little bit like a dream job right now.
3: <laughs> yeah, you know, you're running a nonprofit. You know, you're not going to. Um Make a million bucks, but uh, no stock options in this job. But you know what? <laughs> you know, that's okay. Um, and you know, beyond just like the community players, you really learn about your community. And so, a lot of the work that we try to do is, you know, we advocate for one for rural communities, but also for equity mm-hmm. and inclusion in um, in program and program design and implementation. And so, that was a really valuable, um, just really knowing. Our community and what the composition is, and how we may be able to relate and, um, you know, get get programming and incentives and, and that type of thing to the people who need it the most.
2: So, are there some specific things that the foundation is working on right now that you can point to that might help our listeners understand just exactly how you're helping people in the Eastern Sierra and and what
3: us? the foundation does? Yeah, yeah, sure. So, from from a mission perspective, we say that our mission is to. Um, promote the culture of energy efficiency and sustainability in the Eastern Sierra. And so when we say Eastern Sierra, we do, we pretty much include just Ennio and Mono counties, Mm -hmm. but um, yeah, so that's the mission of our organization and some of the initiatives that we work on. um, We do uh, public agency. So we have a partnership, a regional partnership with the Southern California regional energy network. Mm -hmm. And um, it's really hard to have an elevator speech (laughs) (laughs) because uh, you know, uh, most of the funding comes from C- the C- California Public Utilities Commission. Mm. Very bureaucratic. Mm-hmm. Investor-owned utilities such as Southern California Edison mm-hmm. um, put we all put money into these. Um, you know, if it's, there's a small portion of our bill that goes into, and it has a very large pot of money, and that's where energy efficiency initiatives are really. Um, funded for the entire state of California. So backtracking, we have a partnership with the Southern California Regional Energy Network, and we focus on public agencies, going into public agencies and trying to make them more efficient. And that includes Mm -hmm. school districts, tribal agencies, Mm -hmm. and other public agencies. Um, we do this program called Kits for Kids, where um, it's a lot like the Living Wise program, which we've has been near and dear. We've done it for the last like 18 years with Mr. Campos, the sixth grade um, yeah. uh, middle school science teacher, and the, with support from the water district. And um, so we do a program like that for younger kids. Um, So that's kind of one of the areas that we we work on. Um, We implement the Green Business, the Eastern Sierra Green Business Program, which is a part of a network, um, the California Green Business Network, which is statewide. And that's where we will go into a business and we'll look at their energy and their water and recycling and toxins and transportation. And it's a very rigorous set of measures that um, once they accomplish it, they will get certified and recognized. And a, a lot of times that just aligns with the business owner's kind of personal passion mm-hmm. towards sustainability and it gives them recognition. And so um, we can also put a list of the businesses and, and the website in our show notes for that as well.
2: Do you help them? You know, if, if it's like a, a lift for someone right. to make their small business more energy efficient, are there resources for them that you can connect them to and stuff yeah. like that?
3: Yeah, there's, there's resources, there's some rebates and incentives that, mm. that we provide or that we can um, align them with. And then we hold their hand all the way. (laughs) We have a coordinator, a green business coordinator who, because business owners have a lot to do, and especially with COVID and just, you know, everything that we've had um, that we've endured the last couple of years. So this green business coordinator... Just kind of spoon feeds. Okay, just do this, and then we'll meet again, and we'll. Yeah. Right. Um, but it's great, and we have um, I think about twenty five or more businesses in in Yuen Mono with another eighty or so somewhere in the process. That's wow, so important yeah. to have that person, the the spoon feeding and right.
0: the hand holding, because yeah. sometimes that's really what it what it takes. Is right. You don't know how to start, right. so having yeah. that that's beautiful.
3: Yeah. Yeah, so um, those are some of the main initiatives. Again, living-wise, um, we do outreach for utility programs, um, like on income qualified and mm-hmm. just information about public power- public safety power shutoffs mm, um, just you know which tr- we're
2: very used to <laughs> yes. uh, yeah,
3: yeah yeah, and you know one of my main goals is like trying to figure out how we can um, just build more resiliency into our communities especially as we're going to electrification and decarbonization and in here um, and then one I you know how could I forget this we <laughs> with uh, on behalf of or in collaboration with the Mono um, County Library System applied for a California Sustainability mm-hmm. Library grant where we will be doing programming around Earth Month, a speaker series, some workshops. Um, so super exciting! Yeah. Trying to get um, you know that kind of sustainability message out to not just here in Mammoth, but all of our local um, Mono County libraries. And so we'll have lots of information about that coming.
2: Yeah, we're very excited about that. And we're very grateful to have a partner um, like you guys to help handhold us (laughs) in delivering these programs and bringing the people in to do it. You know, um, I will just make a plug. There's a a sustainability initiative in public libraries across the country right now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of it has been spearheaded by a colleague and friend, Rebecca Smith Aldrich, back in New York state. She's written books on this and talks about it all the time. And I think the sustainability grant that came up that we applied for and we're grateful to have received um, has uh, kind of stemmed from that effort. So it's nice to be part of that conversation, even though we're here, we're a small library system in Mono County, Eastern Sierra, you know, to have the likes of the high Sierra energy foundation to handhold us mm-hmm. through this process is pretty awesome. And I know you and I, Pam, have had a separate conversation about all the other opportunities we might look at in out years. Like I would like to see chargers in front of the library because people could charge their car and come in and use the library for an right. hour.
1: Right. Yeah. stuff like well, Simple stuff like we that. We
0: definitely need more chart car charging <laughs> portals in our County for sure. Yes. But you know, I can say that both of my, my daughters both went through Mr. Campos' sixth grade class and the, program that you do with in that class. And they both came out of it very conscious of the environment. Yeah. And, you know, recycling, you know, is a big deal because our daughters were went through this program and, you know, shamed us if we weren't <laughs> recycling.
2: <laughs> well, you know, this is a, it's more of a conversation in everyone's house now, right? right. Wills and I were having this conversation two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Like we're pretty good at Uh, we were potty trained by New York city to separate our recycling and (laughs) and all that kind of stuff. But we do kind of wonder sometimes, like, does it all get recycled? Like, are we doing it the right way? You know, we often have to look up, do we take the plastic caps off first? Do we leave the plastic caps on, you know, little things like, you know, just as an average person trying to do the right thing. You know, yeah. there's a lot out there. Yeah.
3: So, you know, I think, totally think that you should have Kendra Knight Horowitz um, in <laughs> uh, from Mammoth's disposal to talk a little bit more about mm-hmm. recycling. Because, you know, from a sustainability perspective... You know, you really want to reduce, and we, more of the onus just needs to be on manufacturers and um, and packaging and that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, but that's you know a whole another topic. We we could just hear, <laughs> sit here and chat for hours. But <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, since you've started working in this area, Pam, is there one thing that sticks out that has surprised you about energy conservation that you didn't know beforehand? You you reference nuclear, but is there something that just kind of like oh yeah, I look at this differently now?
3: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think that just everything is complex and nothing is easy. And people, you know, if they want to be, you know, skeptical, they can be skeptical. I mean, you know, just on the EV charges alone. Like, mm-hmm. let's just say, yeah, the infrastructure is not there yet. But, you know, mm-hmm. when the Model T and the Model A came out, there That's wasn't right. an infrastructure of gas stations, right? right? So, um, yeah, the grid needs, you know, a lot of work to to get where we are going to go. But, you know, I, I guess what I just internalize is like we're all making steps towards it. And Mm -hmm. you can, yeah, you can let yourself get discouraged and just throw your arms up and that we'll never be able to, to tackle, you know, and and really when I'm looking at energy efficiency, like that's just the very fundamental, um, you know, space of why we do it is because of climate change. And, and that's our pathway. And, you know, from an energy efficiency perspective, like the cleanest, the cheapest energy mm-hmm. with the least impact is the energy that you don't use. Mm-hmm. And that's why we always like, that is so foundational because, you know, yes, there are great renewables. There's there's storage, there's all these things, but everything comes with, you know, something, you know, a price, a price mm-hmm. to everything. And so um, efficiency is probably the, the kind of the easiest, least benign, but, or most benign, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a lot of cool things out there All of it's complex, but don't let that allow you to just get discouraged and walk away. That's great.
2: Yeah, it's totally, it's awesome. Got
3: to start somewhere, (laughs)
2: right? Well, and again, let's just plug again our programs that are coming up in Earth Month. So listeners, Mm -hmm. if you're in Mono County, there'll be programs happening around the county um, sponsored by HESF and the library system where you can learn more about all of these issues.
0: So... We'll put that link, again, we'll put a link in our show notes so our listeners can find out more. Great. But you mentioned that you have to actively try to get out of your bubble. (laughs) So what do you like to do in this beautiful place that we live in your spare time, which sounds like you don't have much of.
3: (laughs) Yeah, you know, I mean, I, I now have grown, you know, my children are, you know, grown adults now, so um, I do have more time to myself. Um, yeah, I do a lot of cross-country skiing. I do a, mount, a lot of mountain biking. Um, you know, I just now have time to myself, which, yeah. you know, as, as a, you know, someone in an early career and, and as a mother, I didn't have a lot of time right. for myself. Mm-hmm. Right.
2: <laughs> Where do you like to cross-country?
3: Um, I love Tamarack, you know, <laughs> it's just so beautiful and such great grooming, but, mm-hmm. you know, obviously there's mm-hmm. a lot of other obsidian, uh, shady rest. There's lots of great places. Uh, I'm going on a full moon ski tonight in Crowley. Oh, fun. Yeah. <laughs> so.
2: Oh, I love that. I love that the County and that the local agencies invest in grooming trails, not right. just in the obvious places, you know, right. obsidian, I think is one of the greatest places to go and we snowshoe you know mm-hmm. go out to those same places and um, it's just so great because you get out there in the forest and you're it's silent yeah and there's no one around usually yeah,
3: yeah. <laughs> well in Crowley we have to break trail ourselves but yes, you know we do. <laughs> once it's done it's done <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, we were talking just before we started recording. We've been, both of us we, have individually yeah. been snowshoeing up in that area. I've been up yeah. near Aspen Springs. You've been doing that behind yeah. your house behind in Crowley. House. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. It's yeah. such a nice, a nice thing to be able to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah much snow. It's
0: so easy. Just walk out your door and it's yeah. right there. <laughs> do Do you have a preference? Do you prefer the winter
3: activities versus the summer Oh, I think I'm like everyone, you know, you move here, obviously, <laughs> for the winter, you stay in the summers, um, you know. Um, yeah, I just have gotten way more into mountain biking. I mean, I've biked for a lot of years, mm-hmm. but I kind of go back between road and mountain. Um, now I'm just all on the mountain bike side. So, um, yeah, I mean, love that too. And, but yeah. it's so, so nice that you can just head to Bishop and do that. No even when. in the winter yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank, just, thank goodness that we can do that
0: too that after lucky? a winter yes. like
2: that. yeah exactly still just drive 20 minutes down the hill and there you go
0: right and you need to sometimes
2: <laughs> I do it every day you so do. I'm yes. grateful for that listen Pam one of the things we always like to ask our guests because we are at heart a book podcast yes. can you tell us like what are you reading or do you have books you're, you'd recommend
3: yeah, so as I said, I, I have to break away um because I will always go go towards uh nonfiction and right. energy related. But um right now I'm listening to because I whenever I travel, I just mm-hmm. listen to books. So this is an amazing um compilation of essays and um Poetry, and it's all around the climate crisis, and it's called "All We Can Save: Truth, Courage, and Solutions for the Climate Crisis." Um, and it was edited by Anya Elizabeth Johnson and Dr. Catherine Wilkinson. It's amazing. Um, yeah. you you all should. Uh, yeah, just just take note. It's it's easy easy listening, obviously, uh, and that's how I'm I'm procuring it right now. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So that is. I, I'm really enjoying that one um, and then I am in a book club and so that breaks me out um, I just we just finished um, Crying in H Mart
2: oh uh, <laughs> that's such a great book
3: <laughs> and then of course because whenever we do book club it we have to have it surrounding food so you know yeah. we had some amazing Korean food Korean hot pot <laughs> and after oh. that, I, uh, I just uh, heard uh, about H uh, Mart yeah. I did oh, not know great.
0: what it was I just uh, heard uh, about uh, it for the first time and yeah. I'm the yeah. next time in San Diego, I'm going yes. to go to yes. one.
3: Yeah, and quite, quite, a, I mean, it would not have been a book that I would have picked out picked for out. myself. Right. But, um, and then currently we're, um, I mean, I just started, but The Forest of Vanishing Stars, Kristen Harmel.
2: So. Awesome. Wow. Who's the
3: author of that? Uh, Kristen Harmel?
2: I have not heard I of have this not... one yeah.
3: what's it? A, what's it about? Um, yeah, so it's a um, historic historical fiction around. Um, around Nazi Germany. Oh,
2: wow. uh, Yeah. Oh, I see. And it just came out in 2021. So it's Mm -hmm. still pretty new. We'll have to look for
3: it. I think that's such a great thing
0: about book clubs. I'm not in one currently, but when I was, it really pushed me to read books out of my what i usually choose although now i have christopher pushing
3: me to read books out of what i would normally
0: choose
2: sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way so
3: much but well and that one actually i chose because i picked it up from my mom's house i'm like hey (laughs) a hard copy book i I, i'm still i love hard copies so obviously libraries are a great place for me to go but um yeah so um and i knew nothing about it and i just thought oh well something to explore well neat
2: and it's fiction very good because yeah. Crying in H Mart is a memoir, if I remember Correct. correctly. Correct. Yeah, so yeah. you're getting all over. That is the, the fun thing about book clubs. I will plug that the library has a new yes. book club called Just One More Chapter. And we're trying to do this as well, reach different people um, with a variety of different um, types of books each each time. Sometimes... You know, I mean, so I've had two different discussions with people on book clubs this week. Let's just go down this <laughs> route, rabbit yeah. hole. And one of them was kind of, they were kind of complaining a little bit that it's more about wine and socializing. And maybe you get five minutes in it on the book. Yeah. Which I think is great sometimes. That's You're coming together around a book anyway. You know, let it oh. But then I had someone else tell me, it's so great for what you just said, Pam, is it helps expose her to different types of reading that right. she wouldn't normally pick up. Like you need that prod sometimes. Right.
3: Yeah, well, the food is obviously... <laughs> Sometimes we would choose books specifically, like okay, what kind of food can we make mm-hmm. <laughs> um often and even in the past, um we had a um, quite large book club, and then after covid it kind of broke up but right. um sometimes we would even dress up <laughs> wow, <laughs> um, so crazy stuff, but that's um awesome. you know, reading between the wines that's part of it but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, you know and I, and I find that if the book is engaging, then we spend a lot of time talking about it, and if it didn't really make a, much of an impact. We spend a few minutes and move on to something else. Yeah.
1: I,
0: I want to talk about the book.
3: I've, <laughs> you know,
0: I think it's because I'm a teacher. You know, you, <laughs> you you do your reading and you have to discuss. And you know, I had a hard time with the the s- not talking about the book. Really? Yeah. I go close especially when I didn't yeah. want to read it in the first place, and I was like. I have to read this book because it's, we're going to talk about book club and then we get to book club and we wouldn't talk about it. Ugh. That might just be a personality yeah, thing. I think so. I <laughs> Obviously think... I'm not a part of it anymore. I well, think they disinvited me. <laughs> they, they've
2: left you off the email yeah, invites in the future. Totally. Well, I also just think that like the books that not everyone agrees on. Lead is the richest discussion, and sometimes yeah. if everyone loves the book, it's the shortest discussion because everyone just says, "Oh, I love yeah. the book," and then
0: there's nothing else, yeah. else to say,
2: right? But you know, I love the book clubs that bond, like you've said, mm-hmm. like costuming and all that kind of stuff. My, yeah. One of my book clubs, we all went. To Paris one week oh. as a book club. And <laughs> okay. Oh, how we up
0: our game. Yeah.
2: <laughs> I'm just saying, like you wow, bond over that's... books. There's a reason for book clubs. So I love plug you plugged them.
0: That is a whole nother level. Well, we will we will post these books, the titles and the authors that you've mentioned, Pam, on our show notes as well. So listeners can check them out if they'd like to. And thanks so much for spending yeah. some time with us today.
3: Yes, it's thank great you, to see you. Yeah you as well.
0: We really appreciate it and we will also include as we said uh information about the High Eastern High Sierra Energy Foundation as well so people can check that out. Great. And thank you listeners for tuning in today. We appreciate it. Remember, you can find us at our website, oxygenstarvepodcast.com and on our Instagram page, o2starved. So please check it out. Give us a comment. Let us know what you're reading these days and how you are going to engage with the High Sierra Energy Foundation. Yes. We love hearing from you. And until next time, stay safe. Take care, and we'll see you soon. Bye. -bye.
1: Thanks for joining us here for Oxygen Star. Our outro music, Iron Bacon, is composed and performed by Kevin McLeod in Competech.com, Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0 license.